everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and so much more. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy and Mom's Side of the Story, and please, oh please, go on over to the website, will ya, and pick up your copy, and please start writing yourself into your own and your children's life stories. I'm a registered nurse with about 20 years experience working in labor and delivery, and I learned a hell of a lot about women's health and the healthcare system on that job and as a parent, and that's what we talk about here on the podcast how to get through pregnancy, birth, and parenthood in a complicated system and a complicated world. It's hard to navigate. And that's what we, that's what my books and this podcast are about. We have smart conversations with people in all walks of life who have an investment in the birth world, parenting world, or, you know, just in raising the next generation of world citizens. But, you know, that's everybody, right? So last week, we had a good, long, juicy conversation with my favorite midwife, Chris Beard, uh, and we talked about mental health care during pregnancy and early motherhood, and we talked about antidepressants and what's safe to take. And this week, we wanted to talk about some of the health conditions that can kind of, you know, crop up just pop up out of nowhere during pregnancy Um, or ones that that you've been dealing with for a while that really impact our mental health. I mean, there you are, you're going along deliriously happy about being pregnant. And then next thing you know, you're queasy and exhausted and vomiting and you're feeling gross and you're just, you have no energy and you're bummed. Or, you know, maybe you've been healthy your whole life. And then during pregnancy, you're diagnosed with gestational diabetes and suddenly you're poking your fingers three times a day for blood draws. And, you know, you might have to start injecting insulin. Well, that's a bummer, right? So what else do women face that push them off their balance? Well, let's call Chris right after this quick break and get her in on the conversation again. Okay, we're back. Thanks for hanging with us, everybody. We're talking this week about mental health challenges that can crop up during pregnancy and specifically those associated with, you know, some of the physical complications that can come with a pregnancy. So we're going to call up Chris Beard, certified nurse midwife, and see what she has to say. And Chris has been a certified nurse midwife in the Kaiser system for almost 24 years. And if you didn't listen to last week's conversation, um, go back and take a look at that. And she answered the question, uh, who are you and what do you do so eloquently? And this week, we're just going to jump right into the conversation. So let's get Chris on the line. Hey, Chris, it's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm good. How are you? Good. Seems like we just talked to each other last week. Did you have a good week? I did. I had a great week. Good, good. So last week we had a big meaty conversation about, um, you know, mental health and, and it's one that has been just burning up downloads because it's among the number one topics that women want to ask about and know about and talk about and email about. And it has to do with anxiety and depression and stress and tension and relationship changes and, and all of that. So this week, I wanted to ask you about some of that. But I also wanted to talk to you about some of the unforeseen issues that women face. 
uh, during pregnancy and early motherhood and, and how it can impact their mental health and their well-being. And I'm thinking about stuff like, you know, just everything from average morning sickness to, you know, more extreme versions, hyperemesis gravidarum or hypertension or other chronic illnesses or diabetes. And, you know, we can talk about other conditions that bum women out. But I, I guess maybe my first question for you is, um, how often do women talk to you about how they're doing emotionally? Well, women talk to me all the time about how they're doing emotionally because that's part of their, um, you know, that's part of what they're there for. You know, they come to the office, they, um, they get weighed, they get their blood pressure taken, we listen to their baby, we talk about what's going on in their pregnancy, and, you know, how they're doing emotionally is, is really, I mean, after listening to their baby and making sure their baby's okay, how they're doing emotionally and how they're coping is usually pretty high on their list of things they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, prenatal care is really set up to monitor the physical nature of pregnancy. And there's, there's not always a lot of time built in for the emotional stuff, but it is a huge priority for women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I try to make sure that we, we can at least get started on what they're, what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending on where they are in their pregnancy, there are things that they weren't expecting that, you know, take front and center, become a front and center concern. Yeah. You know, you mentioned hyperemesis and certainly that is really a big bummer for people. Yeah. And it, um, it, it's not just a little morning sickness. It is, you know, being sick all day, every day, needing to take medications, needing to take time off work, feeling just absolutely debilitated at a time when they they were expecting that they would feel happy and joyful and all those things. And then to to be saddled with this terrible, you know, vomiting stuff is is not fun for people. So before we start talking about the really gross stuff that bums women out, when you notice that a woman during a pregnancy or, or or, you know, throughout her care with you, when you notice that she's exhibiting signs of anxiety or depression, how do you approach it? What do you say to her? Um, well, usually I just ask how she thinks she's doing. And I might ask, you know, a series of questions. And the questions that I tend to ask are, you know, are you getting out of the house every day? Do you feel like you're taking care of yourself? Are you worried you're going to hurt yourself? Mm-hmm. And if she answers any question that I ask in a way that concerns me, then I would, you know, take a pause and figure out, you know, is this somebody that has a history of anxiety and depression? Does she need to um, meet with our social worker? Does she need more support? How can I, how can I, what kind of interventions does she need? Mm -hmm. Can I help her in any way? Okay. Yeah. So I try to get more, I, I try to ask more questions about, you know, about, the things that uh, the things that if they weren't happening would be concerning. Like if she's not getting out of bed every day, if she's not getting dressed every day, that's a concern for me. Yeah. If her family members are noticing that she's short or sharp or has a short fuse or isn't taking care of herself, that's a concern for me. Mm -hmm. So I would want to figure out, you know, is that going on? And if it is, what's the next step? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back to, to talking about some of the unexpected 
you know, mental health and well-being issues that can crop up. You know, even just for women who are have always considered themselves to be, you know, very well, they can come down with those first trimester blues. You know, it, you, it's just the grossest feeling. You just feel so gross. You're nauseated. You're tired. You're, you know, it's gross for mo- for a lot of women. Not most, maybe, but for a lot of us. So, right, and your breasts are tender, and your clothes don't fit, but you don't really look pregnant yet. Yeah, yeah, but you feel puffy, and food is gross, but you want to eat it. It's so confusing, and you're exhausted, so depleted in energy. Do you think most women feel that way? Is it fifty fifty? I think fifty fifty feel that way. Yeah, and you know the probably the worst part about it is it's a complete surprise. Yeah. You, you didn't think you'd feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't think you'd yeah. be that person. Yeah. You thought you yeah. might feel nauseated, but you didn't realize, oh, <laughs> there's so much more. There's so much more. Yeah. I got, I definitely felt gross and blue and moody with every one of my pregnancies. And, you know, I found that crackers and lemons and going for a walk were the best mood lifters and nausea busters for me. Also sleep as much as I could yeah. get, which of course, you know, with baby number one, you can manage maybe a little bit, but babies two, three, four, however many you have, it gets trickier. We, you still have to prioritize it. Yeah. How old is your youngest kid? The youngest is 19. So we were working together when you were pregnant with that baby. Most likely. Who's no longer a baby. Not a baby. And- yeah, and I don't remember. I remember you just being your normal, regular self. Oh my god! So whatever was going on, you hit it well. Well, do you remember what all was going on with me? Not only I was do. yeah, not only was I pregnant with my fourth kid, and I was thirty nine at the time, and I had a four year old boy at home, and I had adolescent daughters, and I had my niece, and I also had my very old father that we took care of. And it was like, it was insane. But I also had really bad morning sickness with her. And unbeknownst to me, I had cancer. And I didn't know until she was three months old. I felt like crap during that pregnancy. But I still had to work, you know, as we do. You got to work. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm glad people didn't know. I actually kind of made that a big priority because I felt like, okay, I can go to work. I can focus on patient care. They don't have to know anything about me. I did one time, I was taking care of a patient and I had to throw up and (laughs) I didn't have time to go to the nurse's lounge. I had to throw up in her bathroom. Oh. Yeah. And she was lovely about it, of course. And I apologized and we took care of everything. And then one time I was... um doing a c-section assisting you know with a night shift c-section and uh holding a patient who was really really warm while she was getting her epidural and you know how you know she's going to curl she's in a seated position and she's curling forward and so i was kind of holding on to her because she was really scared and helping her hold still while she was getting her her anesthesia and um i almost passed out on her because you were so hot I was hot and I was queasy and I'd been standing probably in a locked knee position for a while in the OR and yeah, and it was the middle of the night and I was pregnant. Mm, Those are good reasons, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely um, had some 
mental health challenges with anxiety and stress and stuff during those during that pregnancy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but enough about me. Let's talk about, you know, more common scenarios of situations that can come up. Like, you know, when morning sickness is actually something more serious, like hyperemesis gravidarum, you were talking about that. What can, let's talk about that some more. You know, what does that do to a woman's mental health and well-being and what can she do about it? Well, it's exhausting mm-hmm. and it's frustrating because you don't have any control over this uh, hyperemesis, the vomiting stuff. So, you know, it makes people more anxious because they're worried, is this ever going to go away? Mm-hmm. I feel so terrible. Is it ever going to go away? And so, you know, getting the medical treatment that you need, getting the medications and the IV fluid and the support that you need from your from the people that are home with you, I think is crucial to kind of getting through that. And for most women, that ends, you know, sometime in the middle, second trimester. Some people, it persists for a long time and it's really tough it's really tough yeah and at that point you have to just come up with some coping strategies like first of all surrender to feeling gross it's not going to get better for a little while this is just how it is don't try to get you know like there's that feeling of well at least today I'm going to try to get something done and then that's a day when you feel like hell and nothing gets done and then you feel bad about it so realistic expectations, using distraction, bring out the, you know, Netflix binge time, all of that. Do what you can do to, to bolster yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Get help from your friends. If you have other kids and people and you have friends who are willing to help you or family who are willing to help you, get someone to help you with those other kids. You know, oh, get someone heck to come yeah. in and take your kid to the park. Get someone to come in and and, you know, one of the things people don't want to do when they when they feel that yucky is they do not want to feed their family. So this is a time when going to your local place that has, you know, a deli counter that has pre-prepared food, that's your friend. Yes, yes, yes. And if you are somebody who likes to offer support to, you know, the pregnant women in your family and you ask them that question, what can I do? They're going to say nothing. I'm fine. I'm just fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. The truth is she could probably use, you know, a gift certificate to Grubhub or she could actually use somebody to cook her family's dinner. She needs somebody else to have to handle the food for her, even if she says no. Yeah. 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 I really like the idea of giving women gift certificates to restaurants and food delivery services because otherwise you end up with 20 lasagnas or you end up with, or you end up with, especially if you have other kids, you end up with what my kids used to call when we used to get, you know, lots of lasagnas, um, other mother's food. (laughs) Oh, other mother's food. Other mother's food. Are we going to have to eat other mother's food? I appreciated the other mother's food, but my kids didn't want it. That is pretty funny. I know. I know. I loved that people were thinking about us that way. But then, you know, yeah. at that moment where you're heating up the casserole and your kids are like, no, I just want to eat my own mother's food. Or they want to get food from, you know, a restaurant that they know or something like that. Anyways, side note. There you go. Yeah. So 
What I want to do next is I want to take a real quick break right now, and then I want to talk about a couple of other conditions that really can do a number on your mental health. So hang in there for one minute. Okay, we are back. Thanks for hanging in there, listeners. So we were talking about, you know, how gross the first trimester is and how hard hyperemesis can be. But there are other conditions that kind of come to mind, like gestational diabetes and hypertension and, um, you know, other more complicated conditions. And sometimes they come along as complete surprises. Um, But sometimes they're chronic illnesses, maybe that you've been dealing with for years and things ramp up. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's your experience with that? Well, my experience is, you know, diabetes and hypertension are very common. And most women do not want to have those things. So their first response is, so let's talk about diabetes first. You know, everybody gets screened for diabetes in their pregnancy. Um, Many people get screened more than once if they have some risk factors for diabetes, and that would be, you know, history of a large baby, diabetes in your family, a BMI of over 30, which let's face it, many, many people are. Mm -hmm. You get screened early in pregnancy, and then you get screened at the regular time. So when you get screened for diabetes and you get diagnosed with diabetes, your first response is, I don't want, that's not, that can't be true. Can I take that test again? Mm Mm-hmm. And it really is a bummer for people to get diabetes in pregnancy. And many, many people will be able to um, manage their diabetes in pregnancy, keep their sugars in the right range, just by making simple dietary changes. Other people will actually need to have insulin. And so it's a huge, um, it's a blow to, if you think of yourself as a healthy person and you think of yourself as a healthy eater, to get this diagnosis is really a drag because it changes. I mean, it makes you, it changes your perception of yourself. It does. It does. It's a huge shift to, and to be diagnosed with something like that. Right. And a lot of people, you know, are kind of in denial about it and they, and they just don't want to make the changes that are needed and they don't want to have all these extra appointments. And that takes them down a whole path of even, of, of it being even more of a problem. And so I have found that, you know, people who have, who get an abnormal glucose test in pregnancy have a lot of adjusting to do. Yeah. I, yeah. I've seen and, that too. And it's the same thing with people who have high blood pressure. And I don't know if, I don't know if, um, if you read, your listeners are aware, but you know, the the criteria for what's considered to be hypertension and what we call it or high blood pressure and what we call it has changed over the years. And in fact, I always have to look up. I'm like, okay, so is this gestational hypertension or is this preeclampsia or what is this when mm-hmm. I have somebody with high blood pressure? Because mm-hmm. they keep changing the definitions. And most people's response when their blood pressure is elevated is, oh, I, it's always elevated when I come to the doctor. Right. It's always high here, but then it's normal when I'm home. And, you know, sometimes that might be true, but um, a lot of times it's not. And so when you have high blood pressure in pregnancy, you're on a different path, too, because you're you're having to do labs and you're having to do 24-hour urine collection and you're having to come in for non-stress tests. And, you know, potentially you're looking at having to have your baby early by mm-hmm. induction. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so those things are a big bummer for people. And, you know, most of the time people don't want to believe that they have high blood pressure either because it changes your perception of yourself and it changes your experience of the pregnancy because you've gone from being, being and considering yourself to be normal to suddenly being high risk. And that's, a, that's something that most people don't want to embrace. And right. I don't blame them. They don't want to embrace it in terms of the consequences that it could potentially have on their baby, but then also, you know, the consequences that it can have on themselves. You know, Correct. we talked a little bit about how it changes your self-perception, but, you know, it also can have an impact on your long-term health and how you see yourself as a healthy person. But an, another thing that can happen, and I have seen happen, is women will, they'll, they'll get this diagnosis and they'll hear what they have to do to ha- manage it or control it and then they embrace that. They say, okay, yeah, I'm afraid of this, but if I do these things and I really take this opportunity to take as good a care of myself as I possibly can, and that includes my diet and that includes sleep and exercise, and yeah, you know what, I could use some therapy and you know, all of the things that we can do to promote our own well-being, I've seen women just grab it and go and then recognize what a huge impact, you know, we call it self-care now, but it's it's all the common sense things that we've always said. Eat right, exercise, reduce stress, get enough sleep, pay attention to your relationships. You know, it's it's common sense. But when you really, really do it and you really live live that way, it's huge. The difference in your well-being is huge. And I, I applaud those women who are able to... Um, to take that uh, those those diagnosis in pregnancy and really make lifestyle changes and look at it as okay, I'm you know I'm going to do the best that I can to figure out how to manage this in my life. Yeah, and sometimes that change is, you know what? I actually really need to try antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. I need to give it a try because I want to really thrive during this time of my life. I'm not thriving, and I need more help. And then they try Absolutely. it and they realize, oh my God, this is what life was supposed to be like. It's, you know, antidepressants can be life saving. I mean, they can it's be miracle kind of like workers. People, yeah. It's kind of like people who didn't realize that they need glasses mm-hmm. and then they get glasses and they're like, oh my God, there were leaves on that tree. It's not just a big green blob. Yeah. I think the same thing is true for people who have been depressed and been, you know, living with depression, untreated depression for a long time. And then they, they go on medication and they make the changes and they're like, Oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it can be life-saving and I love it when women have the opportunity and oftentimes it happens during pregnancy or early motherhood to really look at themselves and say, Whoa, I need to look at me first because if I'm not at my best, I'm not, this is a big thing to do raising these children. This is hard Mm -hmm. and I want to be here and I want to have some fun. I want to, and I want to be able to thrive in the other parts of my life that aren't motherhood. You know, that's a big job. You need some help. Women need help. Yeah. 
So what else should we talk about this week, Chris? I don't want to get too off topic, but what haven't we covered? Let's talk a little bit about the biggie, postpartum depression. Let's talk about that. It's more common than women know. We're talking about it a lot more, so I think more women are aware of it. Um, But I think a lot of women are still in denial and don't know that there's help available. What do you think? Well, I think we, I think we as a culture still have a lot of stigma around depression in general mm-hmm. and people who are new moms, you know, when you look in the media and when you see what's portrayed out there, you're supposed to be, you know, fully dressed, um, clean, showered, your baby's supposed to be, supposed to be adorable and even tempered. And the reality is that babies are fussy. Mm -hmm. Babies don't sleep. I mean, I always crack up when people say, oh, she slept like a baby. Oh, you mean you woke up every 20 minutes? That's how babies sleep. With with poop in your pants? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hungry, (laughs) crying for food. Screaming Um, at the top of your lungs, waiting for someone to serve you? That was your morning? (laughs) Yes. So, exactly. So, I feel like just bringing that into the light and Mm -hmm. saying, you know, postpartum is messy. You know, I love these images that I'm seeing, you know, in social media of women with their net panties, their poochy belly, Mm -hmm. their big old peri pad Mm -hmm. and a crying baby in their arms, because that's the reality for most women. Thank you, Amy Schumer. Thank you. Thank you, Amy Schumer. Yeah. Yeah. Postpartum is messy. Yeah. And so, you know, helping people understand that it's not this you know, this image that you see on the cover of, you know, Parenting Magazine, it is really a complicated time in your life. And, and letting them know that they're not alone, I think is step number one. Step number two is letting them know that they're that, you know, some ups, some emotional ups and downs in the first few weeks are normal. Mm -hmm. And they're very common. If it lasts beyond the first few weeks, that is more concerning and you need to reach out to your healthcare provider, mm-hmm. whoever took care of you in your pregnancy, whoever's going to be seeing you for postpartum because, um, you know, medications, support groups, <clears throat> help is available. And in fact, I'm not sure if this is going to happen, but um, the legislature in our state, which is the state of Oregon, is looking at mandating that people who provide care for pregnant women um, guarantee two prenatal, two postpartum visits, uh, a visit early in the postpartum period, like at one to two weeks, and then a visit at the normal time, four to six. And that, um, that's definitely and, an improvement. But you and I both know that what we also need is a safety net of women to just surround that mother and make sure that she's checked on a lot. And then that is true. if she's miserable, she's not sleeping, she's not healthy, then you take her in for even more postpartum appointments if necessary. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and if it's an urgent situation where you feel like the mother is going to hurt herself or hurt her baby, you ER. take her to the closest emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. Because she, this is, this is truly, you know, postpartum depression and postpartum mood disorders can be emergencies. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's really essential that people in your life be alert to the things that would be concerning. So yeah. not getting out of bed, not getting dressed, saying you're going to hurt yourself, saying you're going to hurt your baby. Mm-hmm. Those are all reasons to go to the emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. You know what if else? If you can't see your provider. 
You know what else is something that I don't think that people necessarily expect is just what a number sleep deprivation can do on you. And sleep deprivation is part of the deal. There isn't anybody whose baby sleeps through the night. And so, you know, for many people, it's the first time in their life that they're not sleeping. They're not getting sleep. They're getting naps, you know, regular frequent naps, but not often enough. And it changes the way you think. It changes the way you feel, changes the way you process information. And um, if, you know, anybody else is like me, it makes you cry. <laughs> makes you cry. It it totally makes you cry. And so, you know, the first line for people who are, who are, you know, feeling anxious and depressed is to check in on how much sleep they're getting. Yeah. And almost always, if you can get them a little bit more sleep, it's less acute. Yeah. It, they may still have depression and need more help than that. But the first line is to get them more sleep. Yeah. So leveraging their partner, leveraging a friend, leveraging an in-law, or in some cases, hiring someone to come in at night to watch your baby, a doula, yeah. Yeah. a postpartum doula. Yeah. But getting somebody in there to, to facilitate sleep for the mom can be huge. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. I've told the story before on the podcast about being in the first week after having my first daughter and I just couldn't sleep. There were opportunities for me to sleep, but I just could not turn off my extremely busy brain. I was just hypervigilant stage and um, sitting in the rocking chair holding her and having like this visual experience of seeing flying horses come in the window. I'd been awake for that long, that white Mm. flying horses coming in the window. And in my mind, I remember thinking, yeah, that's not right. That's not supposed to be. That's good. That's a lot of flying horses. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and having enough wherewithal to know, you know what, honey, you're a little messed up. Fortunately, I I was able to knock out and get some sleep shortly after that. and, And the flying horses disappeared, but it can, it can really mess with you. Yeah, it's common. Yeah. Well, Chris, I think we've come to the end of another good long conversation. I think we touched on a lot of mental health issues between this week and last. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I always love being on your pod. Well, good. Well, let's get you back here super soon. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And happy back to school season to you and your girls. Thanks so much. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Mama said. Okay. That's it for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. Our guest today was Chris Beard, Certified Nurse Midwife. Come on over to my website, jeanfaulkner.com. Yes, I'll spell it. J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. And you can learn all about me and the work that I do. And you can see where what my books are and pick up a copy of Mom's Side of the Story. You can email me your questions and comments at jean at jeanfaulkner.com. You can find us over on Instagram and Facebook at Common Sense Pregnancy, and I'm on Twitter at Jean Faulkner. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Bye, everybody. We'll talk again next week. 
Hey guys, we're Sarah and Matthew Bivens, hosts of the Doing It At Home podcast, a show dedicated to empowering stories and resources around home birth. Our mission is to normalize home birth and encourage mamas and families to be educated, supported, and empowered by their birth choices, whatever they are. You can find the podcast in Apple, Google, Stitcher, the Pod Network, and on our website, diahpodcast.com.